Today at the SDGI Directors in Dialogue, Ian Power presents his film The Runway in conversation with fellow director Ronan Burke. Um, so congratulations again on the film. Um, it's an extremely uh, assured directorial debut, um, feature debut. And, uh, you know, it has an enormous amount of heart, I think, the film. And um, I saw the premiere in, um, or I was at the premiere in Galway, and uh, the audience, you know, clearly loved it. You know, <laughs> you had them in the palm of your hand. <laughs> and uh, one thing that strikes me about the film is that um, you've got an, a great uh, instinct for what, uh, for how to, you know, make the audience feel what you want them to feel and bring them along with you um one of the best examples of that i think is the scene where david pierce is using the ping pong bats to uh you know uh, you know taxi the plane yeah Yeah. taxi the plane and you know i I was there sitting going jesus he's he's pushing it now you know this is getting a bit silly but it it was clear that everyone loved it everyone was howling with laughter you know yeah, I mean that that was definitely that probably is actually right on the cusp in terms of what you know what I mean because there is always that like are you going too far and when is a gag just a gag or whatever and that was uh, there were, there had been pressure from the script stage actually to cut that out and for whatever reason I just loved the sight gag of it and I liked the idea that at the end that the things we've already seen the kind of writer in me liked the plant and the payoff and that you get to the end and things are just kind of like you know slotting into place very uh, anally and that so I, that was something that I kept I kept like at in in the face of kind of a lot of opposition at times and it made its way into the cut and people didn't seem to really you know object to it too strongly and it was fine and it just seemed to work in that a lot of it is about you know where the movie is at like you couldn't put something like that in the middle of a scene that's whatever but Everything has gone up a notch. Like as soon as you see the kids starting to drive, really, you're going into a, a sort of a less than credible world. Yeah. And uh, that, but the, the absolute payoff was for sure in Goy because, and and it has always been the case. Anytime we've shown it to any sort of an audience, and I'm wondering, is this going? Is the film working or not? When that happens it, and the house goes, then it's then you go, yeah, okay. Yeah, you must be. They relieved. went with the film. Yeah, yeah it's, it is literally. It's like everybody. a kind of like a litmus test as to how well it's it's gone. Now yeah, you can nearly gauge the, the the laugh at that exact moment is kind of like the indicator of of how how well the screening went. And yeah, you know. that people have been swept up in it, you know, and ha- exactly, you know, aren't yeah. uh, too concerned about you know. Well, they've they've suspended you know disbelief. disbelief yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so and one of the other things that you were uh, keen to to make people aware of when you introduced the film in Galway was that it's uh, you made the film for an audience you yeah. know and I think people there was almost a sense of relief uh, um, amongst the audience because it wasn't another kind of gritty edgy yeah. depressing depiction of Ireland which like yeah. there had been a lot of yeah you know um was it hard to to make something uh, in in that kind of? I think it was. Uh, I mean, er, er, you know, certainly early on with the, say the film board who were who developed the film, it it took like I'd be lying if I said the early stages of development script were easy because it took quite a bit of convincing 
not necessarily in the story, but in my motivations for telling the story. And I think they thought that it was going to be cynically commercial. That it was kind of like, a, you know, this that, that it was something that I was doing to contrive a reaction as opposed to that it being kind of heartfelt. Mm. And, you know, there's a lot of personal stuff, weirdly, in the film, uh, like not not in a in a, uh, a literary way or whatever but you know like when I was six my parents moved to Wexford I was, felt totally I'd, be, I'd been in, grown up in Dublin new school new friends found it really difficult to fit in moved to a, a, a second school for like within a year and around that time saw E.T. and I remember thinking like that the idea of a fella dropping out of the sky to be your friend was just going to be so much easier than facing, you know, the the school. So when I started to think of the story itself from the point of view of of an outsider arriving, uh, an outsider arriving to kind of save another outsider, then it became mm. more something that it was like, okay, there's a little bit of meat here, you know. Um, so yeah, there was ultimately the opposition or the difficulty of of around that came with the sort of commerciality of the script was just to prove that we weren't doing it in a cynical way and and ultimately I can't really fault the film board for that you know because they didn't you know at the end of the day I hadn't made a film I hadn't made a feature film before and you know so they 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 needed to be convinced I'm 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 not sure that if I went to them tomorrow with the same script that they'd you know th- there's a certain amount of um of insecurity that comes with a first time director and I think it's really important like I I wasn't precious about that you know like when I started I was like 23 and someone was saying you know why should you direct like are you kidding me you're getting a great deal you know in my head they were getting Steven Spielberg or someone and like 10 years of trying to make a feature I realised actually you're a complete handicap to a production as a first time director and you're kidding yourself if you think you're not that's not to say that you should approach it in a, in, a, in a negative sort of way, but you have to be totally realistic about what you know a producer has to do to go out and get money and to get the kind of money that we needed to make this film. Uh, it was always going to be a challenge. So, but that having been said, once once we kind of got into development with the film, or got into whatever they call it, the, the stage after is a production. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, with the film board. They got 100% behind it, and we were financed in about eight months, hmm. which was kind of phenomenal. And talk to us a bit about the uh, idea of it being based on a true story, kind of, yeah, yeah. you know, in the sense that I, I, I also know that uh, it is based on a true story, but only in the sense that there was, a, you know, people built a runway for, a, you know, a, a guy who crash-landed in Cork, right? Yeah, who, who I mean, was a Mexican. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but you so, didn't do any research. No, I didn't. didn't want to. Yeah, I saw it on uh, Reeling in the Years, right? I saw the saw the kind of snippet of it. I had just written a film set in the famine, and I had literally spent seven months researching it. Read every major book that you can read on the famine. Started to write the story, which was also a true story within the famine, and it was crap. And it was crap because I had researched it so much. Yeah. And so I had this thing in my head, I'm never going to research again. I'm going to apply the research after I've told the story and then let it enhance the story as opposed to to, to define it. So I didn't do any research, deliberately wrote this story. I also figured, well, there's not going to be any legal problems then because I've made everything up. Yeah. And 
so I, I kind of, you know, went into it, told the story in an organic way, like, like I knew, okay, the plane had crashed, it was Cork, it was 1983, nobody had anything, he was a South American, you couldn't get further from, you know, what Cork would be like a, I don't know, Cork in 1983 is probably like Wexford was, which is a bit like Russia or something like, you know, like, <laughs> it was a totally austere place. And then you have this really good-looking, romantic sort of guy who arrives in there, and it just seemed totally like a great sort of setting for a film. Had a, had the idea for a long time, and then started to think about it in the terms of from the point of view of a kid who didn't have a dad. And then that's when the, that's when I started to tell the story. But I never I never um, I never got caught in the, caught up in researching it. Yeah, that's interesting because I think you'd be tempted to check it out just in case you weren't, you know, pushing it too far, like you know, or taking too many liberties. But I guess there's a certain safety in in you know not yeah, concerning no, yourself with it at no, all. No, like the first card that says whatever kind of inspired by true story is a total rip off of the you know the opening of Butch Casting the Sundance Kid, and it says most of what follows is true. <laughs> and there's a lovely, as an it's kind of empowering for an audience to go, okay, so there is some truth, but it's not like. I always think if you're going to say a true story, then it should feel you know like Fargo is presented as a true story, but it's not. And and there's something really interesting about doing that, as in using the truth to m- empower the story. But if you go after the truth in a kind of a tabloid way, then if, you know, as in make a true story about a true story, it can sometimes leave you feeling a bit like the movie of the week. You know, that's yeah. What but with Fargo, you mightn't believe what follows without that title card yes you know what I mean like truth. you could no yeah. one could be that stupid you know? <laughs> that's true <laughs> um, so the the whole film hinges almost on the performance of the central character and the relationship he has with the um, Colombian
if we made Let the Right One In here, it wouldn't be remade. It would be good enough to get, to go out on a stand on its own two feet. They might go, we should remake it with Russell Crowe in a store, you know, a star. But there's a huge advantage to the fact that we do speak English, you know. <laughs> Guys, thanks a million for coming. Thanks I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to STGI Directors and Dialogue. For more information on the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland, 